Hello there, I'm Fern Cotton and this is Happy Place. Now normally at this point I would introduce to you a wonderful guest but today I'm going to introduce you to two co-hosts. Jake Humphrey is a sports broadcaster and my dear old friend. He's not old, we're just, we go way back. And Damien Hughes is an organisational psychologist. Together they host the High Performance Podcast. Now, This is a bit different, as a bit of a treat to bring this very weird year to a close. We thought we'd get together to share some of our favourite moments from Happy Place and from the High Performance podcast as well. So you'll of course hear from some of the truly incredible people we've each spoken to this year, but you'll also hear our thoughts on each other's chats and how they've affected us. Jake and Damien are both hugely insightful guys and their reflections on some of the chats I've had massively moved me. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So here it is then. This is the delightful show. Enjoy. Hey, Fern. Oh, Jakey, Damien, what a joy this is. You know what, this is, the per- in my eyes, the perfect way to end 2021. I haven't seen enough of you anyway in the last two years with the pandemic, so uh, it's nice to get together. You did get to my house this year, which was so lovely to, to have you drinking tea in the kitchen. That was a joy. And I agree, look, I don't like New Year's Eve parties, so this is my kind of thing, having a chat and then having a little nap afterwards. Wonderful. Nice. What are you like on New Year's Eve, Damien? Uh, exactly like Fern. I'm uh, I'm early early to bed and wake up the next morning feeling fresh. Love it. Now I guess there's some people thinking, what is going on here? Why are Happy Place and High Performance talking to each other? Why have two very very different worlds, maybe slightly different worlds, collided? Um, we just thought this was a good idea, didn't we, Fern, to get together and talk about the work each other have done and introduce your audience to ours and our audience to yours. Yeah, I think although sometimes sort of thematically our work might be different, there's so much crossover. Although you might be talking to, not always, but often sports personalities, and I might be talking to, it could be a a Buddhist monk one week and then someone in the public eye the next. We're actually talking, we're coming from the same place. We want to understand people better. We want to you know, get under the layers of, of someone's life to see what's really lurking and to have a greater understanding of it to, to learn. That's that's where I think we're both coming from. So it makes a lot of sense for us to delve into each other's archives of the last 12 months and see what we've been up to and um, and just have a nice old chat about it. Yeah, I think what you do brilliantly, Fern, if I can jump in there, is that it's a message Jake and I often talk about that we don't interview sports people, we interview people that sometimes work in sport. And I think... That's a lovely one that you you managed to peel back those layers and regardless of the industry, you tell us about the person and the challenges that they're doing. So I'm really looking forward to it. 
Yeah, me too. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I imagine you're the same from listening to how you both interview. I'm much less interested about, you know, what someone's, you know, what project they've just done or what they've just achieved. I really want to know all the feelings like, and sometimes, you know, the really ugly feelings they have in everyday life, because I quite like busting that myth that, you know, whether it's people in the public eye or not, but people who have done big things, achieved success, whatever it might be, are somehow immune to the more challenging parts of life, which we know is, is not true. So I enjoy busting that myth. And I, and I know you guys do as well. Yeah, we do. And if you're listening to this on Happy Place, well, hello to everyone. Uh, you may not know who I am. My name's Jake. I used to work with Fern on CBBC. We remain friends. As you just heard, I turned up randomly at her house while Jesse and her were cooking for the kids. I sort of got in the way in the kitchen for a couple of hours and then headed off. Um, and myself and Damien, who is my m- far more intelligent co-host, we host something called the High Performance Podcast, where we in a not dissimilar way to Fern, we like to get under the skin of, of the people where maybe we just see the surface, really. And I think the key the key for our podcast is we talk a lot about purpose. And I must just say, before we go any further, um, that Fern is the reason for us creating high performance because someone suggested I do a podcast. I thought there was loads of them. I thought it would be hard to kind of make our voice heard. I called Fern. And she said, listen, Happy Place is the greatest thing I've ever done. I've never been happier. I've actually found real purpose. And if you've never listened to High Performance before, and this is the first time you're hearing it via Fern's Happy Place channel, that's really what we talk about is purpose. And we'd love you to come over and spend some time with us whenever you get an opportunity. Um, and I'm really hoping, Fern, that High Performance listeners uncover the magic that you bring them on Happy Place. Oh, I really hope so, because... You know, I, as, as we've said, I have the same sort of goals of you, as you. So I think if your beautiful fan base love your work, hopefully if they pop over to Happy Place, they'll feel equally as comfortable and as at home. Love it. So I think, should we just play some clips from each other's pods and talk about them? Um, yeah. I don't know, Damien, maybe you, um, as a professor, as the brains of the <laughs> outfit, right? Um, I think you should maybe pick the first clip from High Performance and then, um, then we'll dive into one from Happy Place, maybe. Well, the first one um, that I'd suggest that we listen to is uh, the one that had quite a profound impact on a lot of listeners and attracted others, which was uh, England's 2003 Rugby World Cup hero, Johnny Wilkinson. And the interesting thing is that I think we spoke about rugby for about a minute of an hour and a half conversation, which again gives that idea that we're not talking about sport, we're talking about people that just happen to have worked in that industry. I had a chat with a triathlete who was saying to me, you know, I made an analogy that about how when I was younger, I'd be like, oh, you know, playing a World Cup final, that's important. And now, you know, the idea about doing the washing up would have been like, don't you dare. And now I'm like, I love doing the washing up. And he couldn't believe it, it was like, it's rubbish. I said, well, what is it you love about, what def- define tr- being a triathlete to me? And he was saying about doing the run and then the swim and then the cycle, whatever. I said, okay, right now break that down for me. What are you doing? Well. I'm, I'm moving my body to get to a goal. I said, right, what are you doing when you're doing the washing up? Moving my body to get to a goal. So why is one good and one's bad? Why because of you... outside opinions and influences, I suppose. Because of old ideas that, would, yeah. that, that I've decided that this is something I like doing because I plug into this because this is what I enjoy doing. So all those, it's a really tricky one and there's obviously going to be likes and dislikes, but whether or not you fully yeah. engage comes down to how you are on the inside. Does that make lifting a World Cup more important than doing the washing up? No. No. No, that's my decision. If I, if I choose to be a World Cup winner 
because I've lifted a World Cup, that's going to be my next limit. Because when I'm a World Cup winner or I'm a rugby player that won the World Cup, now I'm a guy that's walking around being the rugby, rugby that wins the World Cup. Now what happens when England win it again? I'm like, oh, I'm a less important guy who won a World Cup just the same as those other guys. Mm. And now next time England are playing, I'm like, oh, I hope they don't win it. But I hope they do really well because I work the guys, but I hope they don't win it. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. What a conversation, Fern. What do you think? I listened to that whole episode back when it was released and I, I don't know anything about rugby, obviously. I knew a little bit about Johnny, but not enough to really be able to get a sense of who he is as a person. And you can really tell from listening to that episode that he's been through such a huge time of change. Um, whether you want to say it's emotional change, spiritual change, but he's obviously got this massively expansive mindset now on life in and outside of sport and the thing that he's most known for. And and it was just intriguing listening to him talk like that. I don't think I'd heard a sports personality talk in that way because usually it is about winning or succeeding or being perfect in that moment. A lot of the time it comes down to perfection so you can win. So it was beautiful to hear him sort of dismantle that theory really. Yeah, and I think that's a really opposite point that you're making, Fern. I think when Johnny spoke to us, he'd spoke about, like, there was two parallel beliefs that had sort of led him to having a breakdown in many respects. One was he'd grown up with an abject fear of dying, so he had this idea that when he died, he needed to have lived a perfect life, which in his young adolescent brain made sense to him. And then he actually found himself being extraordinary at something where perfection was valued. So he found himself being an obsessive on a rugby field and constantly chasing perfection. And that had led him to sort of have 14 consecutive serious injuries and go to some really quite dark places mentally. That, had, that And what he came and shared with us was the journey out of that pit of, uh, of despair that he'd found himself. Jake, I'm really interested to, to see what you think about this because... You know, much like myself, you're driven and you're ambitious. Yeah. I, I, I don't like to hide. I don't need to hide that fact. I am ambitious. I always sort of have been. So I can get very caught up in the trap of feeling like I'm not doing enough or I'm failing if I'm not hitting marks. Where are you with that personally? I used to be awful with it. And let's just to be totally honest, right, Fern? CBBC was probably the most competitive and <laughs> aggressive and sort of catty place, right? Isn't because that everyone, mad? Everyone was. was young. Everybody wanted to be the next big thing. I mean, have you ever known a dressing room or with so many tears as we used to experience? I used to stay out of it. It was too scary for me. <laughs> Five minutes later, you're standing on the telly. Hey, welcome. Good afternoon. And the reason for that is not because the people weren't good or brilliant people. It's because we all existed in a world where at that time we believed our success in our careers determined us as people. And I'm now 43, right? And there's a reason why I'm only doing the High Performance Podcast now. It's because I was too scared to have these conversations. When I was in my 20s, I didn't know enough about it. When I was in my 30s, I felt that Formula One presenters and football presenters don't talk like this. And I still get dog's abuse every day on social media for having these kinds of conversations because it doesn't fit into people's... And we spoke about this when I joined you on your pod, Fern. It doesn't fit into people's mindset of that's what a sports presenter does. Yeah. And it's through having the conversations on high performance. We spoke with Hector Bayer and another footballer who said, you have to live your life like a candle and your flame can't get bigger because life is going really well for you. And if it does, the problem with that is when life's going bad, your flame gets smaller. So I would say that I'm now in a place and I'm only still trying to get there really where I do not get high on my own supply because my self-worth is only determined by what I think of myself. But there's perhaps a fine line because I've taken that too far 
previously. I've tried to sort of protect myself from feeling awful if things do go wrong by really not celebrating the good bits at all. And I think I've gone a little bit too far into that. I don't ever stop to go, wait a minute, that was actually quite good. I'll let things pass me by without any celebration or, you know, just acknowledgement that it's gone well. So I guess there's a sort of a balance needed. Right. Have you got a clip for us, FC? Yeah. Um, why don't we start with my favourite human on the planet? You're going to say oh, Dave Grohl. Kids. Of course I am. Yeah. <laughs> I love this one. I knew nothing about the secret or the law of attraction yeah, or manifestation until I started writing the book. Mm. Someone was like, oh, that's the law of attraction. I'm like, what's that? They're like, oh, it's that Oprah book secret or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. And so I started kind of researching it. I'm like, oh, yeah. But no, there was this – there was a punk rock band from Washington, D.C. called the Bad Brains. And their whole thing was sort of based on what they called PMA, which is a positive mental attitude. And – it, there was a writer who sort of came up with the concept years ago. And the whole thing was, if you can perceive it, you can achieve it. And I honestly felt that way when I was a kid. Like, you know, growing up with a, your mother's a public school teacher trying to support two kids. Like, we I, we didn't have anything. Like, we didn't have – we barely had money to keep the heat on or the phone on. But we were happy. And so I, th- I truly thought I could do anything. I – sort of still feel that way but I really felt like I could do anything as long as I did it my way I'd figure it out and I could do it so I I I've I've always had that sort of energy and I do believe that if you put the thought or that energy out there there is some sort of return like that seance thing I had when I was 17 in my carport in my like garage or whatever I thought like, okay, I'm, I need to become a musician. Like I need to become, I need that magical thing that those other guys have. Mm. So I literally made an altar and sat down in front of it and prayed to the universe yeah. that it would happen. And it happened. And there's part of me that sometimes I'm like, did I fucking sell my soul to the devil? Like <laughs> what did I do that? No, I think you were day? just so in alignment with it. Yeah. He he's a, a super manifester and he's been doing it his whole life and he didn't he didn't even kind of realize that until people started going, Wait, have you seen Oprah's, you know, chat on this? Have you read this this book on manifesting? He was just doing it naturally, like intuitively building an altar as a kid to pray to the universe that he could become a rock star. Brilliant. <sighs> Bloody hell. What a guy. What a guy. And you know what? And there will definitely be cynical people listening to this going, manifestation doesn't work, right? My take on it is it might not. We can't guarantee it. We can't promise it. There's no, no, nothing written down. There's actually no real firm evidence. However, what is wrong with believing it? Because if you just believe it, then all you're going to do is think positively anyway. Like we all write stories about our future. What if we just decided to write really positive stories about our future? That thing might not happen. It might not come true. But it's a hell of a better way to live in the moment with the positivity than the negativity, at least. Well, of course, because you'll make better decisions along the way. Because if, you know, someone says, right, go out now today and look for yellow objects, you'll you'll see so, so many. But you'll miss, you know, all of the other colour ones. And it's the same thing with if you're focusing on positive things or negative things. We do have much more agency than we think. And if you're in that mindset of noticing positive things, feeling gratitude for them, you're coming at everything from a different angle. So I think he is a prime example. Yes, he's naturally talented. Yes, he's 
one of the best humans on the planet. That's just my opinion. But he has put that positivity and that attitude into everything. And if you read his book, he has had so many huge setbacks. I mean, one being Kurt Cobain dying at the peak of Nirvana fame. And he just was like, well, what do I, what do, I do now? I, I, that, that was it. That was it. And he had to start all over again. And it wasn't just like there was the Foo Fighters. It was a, a whole thing. So I think positive attitude, it has such a huge impact on our, on our lives. We've seen this so often, Fern, that we t we've talking to so many of our guests about what you've just described. It's, it's known as the reticular activating system. So the way it works is that your conscious mind is limited in what it can take in. We've been bombarded all the time, but your unconscious mind is absorbing all this information and the reticular activating system is like the bouncer between the two. It decides who it lets in and who it lets out. So the Dave Grohl example is a really good example of, you know where you want to get to, so you start seeing opportunities rather than threats. You start seeing possibilities rather than probabilities. And he, I mean, he was just a brilliant articulation of it. Although, can I ask you a question on that interview? Because I loved it, what he did. What was your reaction when he described the, the incident where his daughter came home and said she was going to shave her head because everybody else was uh, uh, had long hair? I love that. I think, you know, it's certainly how I hope to be raising my kids, that they yeah. know they can and should express themselves in however, you know, whatever way takes their fancy rather than always having to follow the crowd. And, you know, Rex certainly is my my eight-year-old, has a really strong personality and he knows what he likes. And he does things a bit differently, whereas Honey doesn't like attention, so she would rather sort of go with the general consensus a little bit more. But I think I, I just really want them to go with it. So I, I love that story that he told. And I've interviewed him many times and he, and we've talked about his kids a lot. And, you know, even when we've sort of the cameras or the mics have been down, he, he, he seems like a, a seriously brilliant dad who wants to raise kids that, you know, go their own way in life. I love how much you buzz off him, by the way. I could just see you've, like, come <laughs> to life. You're like, what? It's a bit tragic. I felt really upset the day after. I was like, it's over. What do I do now? Oh, no. Like, can I ask you a question on it, Fern? Because, like, what I'm intrigued, like, I love listening to your interviews. And, that, like, the one that you did, for example, with Billy Piper where you and her have a history that you go back and you were talking about how you'd met as teenagers when you were doing TV. How was your relationship with them when you obviously come in at very different conversations from different places of your life? What do you find about that? Um, I think it, it can be tricky if you're going to walk into brand new territory that you haven't discussed, you know, in real life. Um, and that was certainly the case with Billy, because although I've known her a long time, I don't see her very much. So we did have to talk about some things that we hadn't personally talked about. And even with you, Jakey, when you came on the podcast, we hadn't really talked about your grandma that much personally and and some sort of other family dynamics. Because where's the opportunity to do that in everyday life? Like when you're sat at my kitchen table having a tea, it's never really the time. So I think it, it it's interesting and it actually helps you... Um, learn more about yourself and the other person, which is a very beautiful thing. So, um, so yeah, as, as nerve-wracking as it is, Damien, it, it's also a real honour that we've created a space, much like you have, that feels safe for our guests so they can they can have that chat. Um, let, let's listen to another one of yours. What one would you like to to dissect next? Can I pick Damo? Yeah, go on. Um, I think this is, this is an interesting one, I think, for you, Fern. We've, we've touched on the parenting thing, and this is an insight into a way of parenting that I really actually, 
I believe in and I agree with. Some people don't. Some people find it tricky. But have a listen. This actually was our most ever shared clip on social media. It got almost 10 million views, I think, because wow. lots of parents listened to it. Lots of parents shared it. This is the former Arsenal and Manchester United footballer, Premier League winner, uh, Dutch international Robin van Persie, talking about the way that he helped his son Shaquille to alter his mindset. So my son uh, plays at Feyenoord. He played against uh, um, Ajax under 14. He was on the bench. He didn't play. So uh, in the car on the way back, he was like a bit moody, disappointed, complaining a little bit about uh, others, about the coach, etc. And then I said, yeah, I said, but Shaquille, I said, you sound like a loser, you know, if you talk like this in a way, you sound like you lost. I said, you are blaming him, you're blaming her, you're blaming this, you're blaming everything. I said, but I don't hear one single thing about yourself. I said, winners, I said, they take control and they blame themselves and they look where they can improve. Yeah. And this is what you should be thinking about. So I didn't tell him uh, what he should think about. You should ask yourself the question, are you a loser or are you a winner? I said, for me, it doesn't matter. I said, I said, because I'm your dad. The only job I have and uh, your mom has is when you're 20, that you're a good boy, that you're ready for life. You know, you can make your mistakes. You can do what you want. I, I love you for the same amount. It doesn't matter for me if you make it as a football player or not. I said, but you say that this, that this is your passion. So uh, you should take control of your life and stop complaining because it sounds like a loser. I said, then I don't mind. If you want to be a loser, be a loser. I still love you as much. <laughs> I said, I said, it doesn't matter for me. I said, but if you want to be a winner, take control of your life and stop complaining about others. And then I watched him train the next morning. My, my, my wife said, where are you going? I said, oh, well, I'm going to watch this session. Uh, two days later, actually, because they played on Saturday and Monday morning. So I'm there sitting, cold, hoodie on. I'm, I'm looking and I see this tiger training, running, working. And I was like, ah, okay, okay. He realized he has to take control of his life. He's 13 now. Now, I am a real lover of that clip, Vern. Because everywhere I look in the world, right, I see people giving up control to outside forces. And I have a real issue with the fact that people love to blame other things. And we need to split fault from responsibility, right? Um, trauma from your childhood, often not your fault. Um, issues in personal relationships at home, often not your fault. Um, physical issues, often not your fault. A bloody global pandemic we've all lived through, none of our fault. But all of those really, th really difficult things are actually still your responsibility. And I think it can be a hard lesson for some people to hear. It's not your fault, but it's still your responsibility. We get one crack at this and we have to, as parents, instill resilience and instill an understanding in our kids that you have got to take control because we'll only be there holding their hand for so long. And as we all know, because our kids are of a similar age, we hold their hands less than ever now because they're getting older. So it's just a lesson, I think, in giving them the vitamins and minerals that, that they really do need in this life. It is hard though, isn't it? Because when you're a parent, your your sort of initial feeling when your kid is in some way sort of suffering, like you know your kids get got put on the bench, they're not playing the game. You want to go, oh, come here, it's all right, you know, yeah. mummy's here. But yeah. actually, I really liked his take on it that you know instilling that sort of agency at a young age is a good thing. I think it's hard. I think as a parent, your inclination is always to try and save them, but 
you know, it's not really going to stand them in good stead later down the line, is it? Because you're not going to be there as much to to say, oh, come here, mum's going to give you a hug. You, as you say, you want to build kids that are going to be resilient. So it's definitely something that I haven't practised myself, but I think is really, really important and very interesting to hear also someone who's lived and breathed that sort of philosophy in, in their own career. I think the bit that stood out for me on that was that Although on the surface it sounds harsh, it's laced with love as well, isn't it? I love that idea of that we'll still love you, whatever, whether you want to be a footballer or not, whether you want to be a success or you don't want to, we'll still love you regardless. And I think that then detaches what you achieve from who you are. You're still enough regardless. So the self-esteem of his son is left intact regardless of whether he goes on to achieve his ambitions. Also, if we're really honest, right, as parents, when, say, your your kid is faced with some sort of disappointment like that, I think we have to be really aware of whether we're projecting our own insecurities onto our kids or not. Because so often 100%. we'll not want them to fail because it makes us look bad or it, it sparks something from our own childhood at school. And I had to really do that with my own son, who's really reluctant to do homework, not interested, wants to watch wildlife documentaries or do Lego instead or whatever. And I had a chat with the teacher along these sorts of lines. And we came to an agreement that I wouldn't pressurise him at all to do his homework, but he had to be accountable. So if he goes in and doesn't have the complete homework, he'll probably get a detention. But I'm out of the equation. And I found that tricky, but it's been relieving. because it, it just He's sort of relinquished the power in, in a way. He's doing his own thing. Well, we used a really simple, like... On the basis of the Van Persie interview, didn't we, Jake? We came up with, when we were writing the book, we came up with a really simple formula of life plus your reaction equals the outcome. And the only bit that you really have any influence over is the reaction part of it. So just getting kids to understand that as soon as possible and then they'd live with the consequences, the outcome is down to them. It gives that agency of control to them, which all the studies on that say that's a huge part of mental health is feeling that you have some degree of influence and and locus of control over your life. How old are your kids, Damien? Uh, so my son George is 12 and Rose is nine um, today as we're recording it. So, oh, uh, wonderful. Happy birthday, yeah. Rose. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we, we've got kids, uh, the three of us, all similar age. So yeah. some of these messages, we're still wrestling to get them to understand it. It's hard. It's definitely hard. Go on, Fan, give us another clip from your pod. Okay, why don't we go with, it's another Dave, uh, David Harewood. I just felt very honoured to have had this conversation and I I think about it all the time. And it was one of the most important conversations I've had for many reasons. But let's give it a listen first. I hated what racism, how it makes you feel. It makes you, you know, as a kid, as a kid, I... I was terrified. I mean, I, I know that's probably not a cool thing to say, but I was terrified. And um, I think I found clowning and make-believe and and my imagination at, at school because I could disappear in that. I could be anybody. And it was a nice environment surrounded by lovely, creative people. Nobody mentioned my colour, you know, and I... You know, I could play King Lear and not, 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 you know, nobody said, oh, he's black and she's white and, you know, nobody mentioned it. And so I kind of escaped into this world of, of sort of bliss where I'm studying and, you know, I was never that academic at school, but suddenly I'm studying Shakespeare and literature and 
poetry. And, and I was just, my mind was going, wow, this is fantastic. And I was just buzzing and learning. And it was, it was, you know, and I was finding that I was having some success and at drama school with playing these characters and just escaping into these writers' imaginations. It was just a beautiful time for me. But then, yeah, I came out of drama school and suddenly the world said to me, hang on, you're black. You don't do this, you do that. And you can't play that, you play this. And that's when that, that confusion returned and that sort of uh, difficulty to navigate the, the white space and racism and to navigate how I fit into that returned with a vengeance along with several other moments. Uh, it all combined to sort of tip me over the edge. It was such a wonderful conversation for so many reasons. One, I was just um, very grateful that David was so honest about his his experiences of racism and psychosis, which he went in into in, in quite some depth in the podcast episode. But also, he was really honest about how he felt that day, which was utterly drained from having you know talked about this a lot because he had written a book, and obviously you want to then promote the book so people read the book. And he was sort of he was hitting a wall and I really appreciated that he sort of said that. And he was like, I'm glad that it's happy place. Cause I know that I can sort of say this and it's not going to be taken out of context or, you know, some headline, some sort of awful salacious headline is going to be written. And it just felt like we both breathed a bit of a sigh of relief that we knew where we were at. And I just sort of went with, David's comfort levels of what he was prepared to talk about that day. And we both both had a big cry. We both laughed a lot in the episode. But I really felt like in that short space of time, in the hour, I got to really know the, the, the David Harewood guy rather than the actor who we see do astonishing things on the TV. And, and that felt like a real privilege. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's interesting for me because I think that as much as the podcast space is brilliant and offers something that nowhere else offers, it offers those long form conversations where people can be really honest and really reflective and it doesn't get taken out of context and it doesn't get twisted by other areas of the media. It's also a kind of permanent reminder to me that we now live in a world where those conversations should be happening anyway all the time and they're just not. We live in this transactional world of quick conversations with people but it's always like yeah I've got a quick meeting to get to or every time a you know a meeting's put on your diary you see that it's not just put in it's like how long you get for that meeting or Instagram is a maximum of a minute long um, you want some food you go and order it from an app and it's with you in 10 minutes time we're in this world of short form quick interactions no depth no real honesty no real you know that connection that like we're having it right now just sitting here having a conversation how many times this week have any of us had one hour or more to sit and have this kind of chat with people? No, I mean, I've had chats with people that I've never met before. Like, I hadn't met David before, but we went 
very deep, very quickly in that chat. Deeper than people you see every day on the school run? Deeper than people I see all the time, or even good friends. Because when is that point where you go, you know, are, are you... Are you really okay? Like, what is going on? We don't go there because it's maybe awkward or we just don't know if they want to go there. So I think your podcast and mine, we both kind of know what we're stepping into and and so does the guest. So there's only kind of one direction to go in and it's to peel back the layers. But in everyday life, it's, it's almost too uncomfortable. But if I can say, Fern, I think that's one of your superpowers that when I listen to it, I think... The fact that David spoke so openly on that and as some of the other guests that I enjoyed listening to you speak to, there's obviously something about that they feel heard and seen, you know, and I think then that's down to your ability to to get them to understand that you're empathising, you're stepping into their world rather than offering an opinion or a judgement on them. You're trying to see the world from their perspective and I think that's, like, I wouldn't discount what a superpower that is that you possess. That's very generous of you. Thank you so much, Damien. I think... I know myself well these days and I know that I'm much better at meeting someone at a place of pain than I am talking about what they're doing for Christmas. I sort of don't like small talk. I don't really care for it. I like meeting people at a place of pain. My own pain has to match theirs. You know, I have to be as vulnerable and ready to go there. But but I, I prefer it. I'd way rather do that than be like, I like shoes, where are they from? I just can't, can't be asked. So I feel lucky that I get to do this all the time. And that leads nicely into the clip that we thought would share next, Fern, which is an interview we did with the with the founder and now uh, newly appointed chief exec of Gymshark brand, uh, Ben Francis. Uh, when we spoke to Ben, he'd spoke about how he'd founded the business at 19 and he's led it to phenomenal success. And then he made the decision to step down as chief exec of, uh, when he was 23, just so he could learn the ropes. But he shared this brilliant story about feedback uh, that he'd got through doing an exercise uh, with his colleagues on 360 feedback where he'd invited people to to share their opinions on how he was leading them and how that almost removed the scales from his eyes and got him to see that what he thought he was doing was radically different from how um, his behaviour was being perceived by others. There's a thing that you can do. This was almost a bit of an ego death for me, right? A few years ago, when I was sort of just starting on this journey, we did something called 360 feedback, which I, I, I don't yeah, know if yeah. you guys are aware, but for those that aren't, what you do is you out, you basically list people around you that you work with or you spend a lot of time with. They fill in a questionnaire and like confidentially, you can't see who answered what, and they sort of tick different boxes to describe you. Um, people can add in comments as well. I had this 360 feedback. It must have been like 20 or 30 pages. I had about seven or eight people that all contributed to it. I read through the whole thing and it completely broke my heart. I thought, that's not me. That just doesn't sound like me. Everyone else is wrong. In reality, everyone else is right. I was the problem. Um, so what, what sort of feedback did you get, Ben? Give us just a quick example. Abrasive. Um, can be too direct to honest, uh, at times. Not thoughtful. Right. Um, I mentioned earlier about being sort of too direct in terms of my product feedback. Um, not empathetic enough. These and even when you read it, did you still not believe it? No, I didn't, I didn't believe it. And right. this, this is the thing, and this is the thing that really changed it. I took it home and I put it on the side and then I went off, went to the gym, did whatever. Come home from the gym and Robin, who's my fiancé now, was just finishing reading it and I was so annoyed that she'd read it and I was like, why are you reading that? That's mine, don't look at it. It's not even right anyway. Anyway, whatever, cool down. An hour later, I said, what did you think of that anyway? And she said, that's the most accurate description of you I've ever seen. And I was like, oh, 
God. And that was a moment where it almost felt like everything around me just stopped. Time just stopped. And it was almost like an ego death. And I thought, right, whatever is in that 360 feedback, I am going to list down and I, by any means necessary, I'm going to improve that. And that was a, a moment when I had to reinvent myself. And it was a really, really important moment. That. And it's funny because it's the combination of professional feedback with the validation on the personal side. Wow, that is a brave move. <laughs> how would you guys deal with that? Would you, how would you, co- I would not cope with 360 feedback. I actually do love 360 feedback. You know what, really? I'm up, let me just be totally honest with you, right? Doing high performance for the last two years, I've never been in a happier place, honestly, because of these conversations we've had. People can throw anything at me. They could be, crit- and they still do, as we all know, because of the world that we exist in. It, honestly, it bounces off me like, I honestly feel like high performance has given me a coat of armor to wow. just totally, totally share exactly what I think. There's this lovely phrase, memento mori. It basically means we're all dying. Right. So all of us, Great. I know, all of us have got um, a terminal diagnosis, right? We don't know whether that's eight weeks, eight months, eight years, 80 years, but we definitely know that the clock is ticking. Yeah. And every second that we pass is the second we're not going to get back. And that revelation for me, I was actually telling the guys before we started recording this, I'm going to get MM tattooed on my wrist. I know you're a tattoo fan. I'm getting one tomorrow. Oh, what, what are you getting? I'm getting a pink heart for my late friend Lindell. And I'm yeah. getting a, another quote from a, a friend of mine who's having a really tough time, which says new beginnings, which was um, something that he wrote in a note for me. So I'm getting two for two very special people. And where are you getting them, for? Don't know yet. I'm going to work that out. Oh, well, she does. She just doesn't want to. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> on, on the arse. Uh, so, memento mori, remember you must die. And that, that is the point about that, right? It's really easy. And I was talking to Harriet and she was like, morbid. And I was like, no, no. The total opposite of being morbid, memento mori, is that as soon as you realise you have this terminal diagnosis, as we all do, every single decision is made with that mindset that you are dying. You don't know how long you've got left. So not only are you going to make the most of every minute... It totally changes how you view everything. But the biggest freedom for me is that there is no time anymore to worry about things that are out of my control. There's no time to say things that I don't believe in. There's no time to have friends that I don't feel fulfill me. There's no time to have a job that I don't believe in. And it is a, it's been a real game changer for me. So in that, with Memento Mori in mind, 360 feedback, I, don't, I would not have an issue with it. Well, I do it in my day job. I, I do this when I work with the sports teams predominantly is one of the first things you'll do with them is once you've identified the sort of standards of behavior we invite them to do 360 feedback on each other and what's brilliant is it it has two effects for some it snaps people out of their delusion so they sort of get carried away they get high on their own supply they're surrounded by all these status symbols that they're doing really well but they might be complacent so it often snaps them out of that but For others, a bit like what Ben said, it validates the good stuff they're doing, the the stuff that they think nobody's spotted. You know, like the guy that turns up early or the guy that goes and gets everyone a drink uh, when he goes to the canteen, things like that. All little things like that often come out and get validated. So it can be incredibly valuable, and anyone listening to this, it's uh, something I'd really advocate you do with, whether it's family or friends. The key bit is you've got to agree the parameters of what they feed back on. So it's not that they can't say, stop being a dickhead. Because um, there's something like that. That's where you'd say, well, that's an attack on the person. Yeah. That's not on yeah. the behaviours. Distinguish between feeding back on someone's behaviours, which you can change, or the person, which 
isn't going to change and that then feels hurtful. Yeah, OK, I think I get it now because I think due to, well, all of our strange lines of work, really, you know, I've been in, I guess, the firing line of outside judgment since I was 15 and it, and it's never about your behaviour. It's always about you as a person. So I think that's where I've got confused here and I instantly went, oh my God, I can't handle any more feedback. I already get too much. But actually, constructive feedback is going to be about behaviour because that's something that obviously you can change. It's not you as a person that's disliked. It's how you go about your business. So I, okay, you're changing my mind very slowly and incrementally here. Right, I want another hit from Happy Place. I would like to go with Dr. Jane Goodall now. This was a real dream come true. I've been a, a long time fan of Dr. Jane's incredible game-changing work. I'd watched the documentary Jane, which you can watch, I think it's on Disney Plus, and just fell even further in love with her, then read her book on hope. And what an opportunity to get to talk to someone with that amount of knowledge and experience. There are these three huge problems to be solved and sometimes they seem insoluble. One of them, perhaps the easiest to address, is to alleviate poverty, because if you're really poor, you can't make those ethical decisions, and you destroy the environment because you've, well, you've got to, to get some money to live, to get more land, to grow food. Secondly, which seems very hard for many people, but kids get it, and that's to reduce our unsustainable lifestyle. I mean, my lifestyle's unsustainable, even though I try. Um, I expect yours is too. I mean, yeah. you know, we have privilege and we have more stuff than we need. Yeah. And, you know, it's not suggesting everybody goes back to, you know, being like a hermit and, and living very, very, very simply. No, that, that won't happen. But just to think about what you buy and, and how often you buy and do you make waste and that sort of thing. And then finally, which kind of underlies everything else, if we discount corruption, which somehow I don't know how we get rid of that it's mm. beyond me, um, except through our youth who are beginning to understand. Yeah. Anyway, the third one that we must at least think about is our growing human population. You know, the seven point something billion of us now. I thought it was 7.2. Somebody told me it was 7.8, but over 7 billion. Um, and already we're using up natural resources in some places faster than they can be replenished. Yeah. And by 2050, that's round the corner. It's supposed to be closer to 10 billion. So if we carry on with business as usual, which some people seem determined to do with their head in the sand, then what's going to happen? I know that sounds all quite... <clears throat> doom and gloom. Um, but James very much pointing out the problems, but then has an amazing approach to all of them, which always has to have this sort of undercurrent of hope. Otherwise, she would give up. She's 87. She doesn't need to be doing interviews all day and writing books and still doing talks. She doesn't, she doesn't have to do that. But it's her life's work. And she's been doing that since, since she was in her 20s. And she wouldn't bother if she didn't have hope. And she has a great deal of hope. And she set up her own beautiful initiative, Roots and Shoots, to really um, help cultivate a, a younger generation that are going to, unfortunately, have to fix the mess that we find ourselves in. But hope was, was the underlying theme. And 
I don't see much hope around at the moment, whether you're looking at environmental issues or other stuff that's going on. We're definitely bombarded with a projection of negativity, fear. Um, you know, there's an abundance of that wherever you look. But hope, no, that seems almost whimsical and foolish at times. But if you've got someone who's studied this stuff for their whole lives and who's 87 saying that we have to have hope and that hope is integral, I'm, I'm going to listen to her. Yeah, it reminded me of, like, when I'd listened to that one originally, Fern, it reminded me of that famous Napoleon quote that a leader is a dealer in hope, that you've constantly got to point... Like, there's been studies of, like, American presidents, the ones that get elected are the ones that talk about a brighter dawn ahead and all these things. Um, and I thought she was really powerful with that. She's, she was, you know, on the day that I spoke to Jane, she'd been doing Zooms all over the world, all day long. She She's tireless in her efforts to instill hope in all of us and the book is a beautiful example it's so gorgeous but it just made me feel fired up rather than helpless which I think when we're in an isolated way looking at environmental issues I think we can all go oh god what's the point I can't change anything but you realize we've got much more agency over all of this stuff you know there's the obvious thing about voting with your cash and buying from companies that are you know doing things in the right way and um helping our kids get more involved in that conversation. But I think they're ahead of the game further than us anyway. But just, you know, that that generation, uh, uh, you know, that's just inherently within them. Um, so I think we have to have hope because we hear all these awful stats, like, you know, if we don't lower CO2 emissions by 2030, we're screwed, etc. That just makes you go, oh, God, what's the point? I'm just going to carry on as normal then. But if you apply hope to that and you see there's wiggle room for change, that's a different story. And you know what? Whether people are listening to this episode as an episode of Happy Place on your channels, Fern, or whether they've come to High Performance and they're listening on our channels, I really want them to understand that we're not just being trite and saying, oh, yeah, you've got to have hope. Like, there is evidence everywhere you look that hope actually works and makes a difference and if I just think back to some of the guests that we've had we had John McAvoy on our podcast he was the most wanted man in Britain he was in a, the high security wing at Belmarsh prison with you know um, terrorists and the very worst types of criminals but then he got into sport and it was the hope that sport could save him that means he's now a free man he's a world-class triathlete he goes into schools and he talks to people Billy Munger who I know you've spoken to Fern, who Billy. we've had on our podcast he wakes up He's had both his legs amputated. What gets him back up on his now prosthetic legs? What gets him back in a racing car? What gets him on the podium on his first race back? Well, it's hope, isn't it? What was it that meant Tom Daly got over his dad's death from a brain tumour when he was a young guy and he still wanted to be an Olympic champion? It was hope. What was it that got Ant Middleton into the Special Forces when his dad died when he was a young guy and completely derailed him? It was hope. Like, everywhere you yeah. look, and there's got every to be single hope. person has hope. Hope and action, I think, is the, is the yeah. sort of key. We can't just sit there and go, I hope one day I'll become a famous movie star, but you don't ever take an acting class. You know, you've got to yeah, do yeah, yeah. the action bit. But if you do the action bit without the hope... What's that? I mean, you'll film. probably give up. It just becomes yeah. apathy. I don't know. So it's a, it's a really um, powerful combination, hope and action. And like you said, most people that we've probably both, you know, all the all the guests we've had on, the, on both podcasts have have been able to combine the two and do some very beautiful things in you know all different ways. Right. Can I um, throw another high performance guest your way? Let's do it. Adam Peaty, who we all know to be probably the greatest British Olympian, certainly the greatest British swimmer, um, has an amazing coach called Mel Marshall. You can find her on social media. Massive Mel is her username. And she is an amazing coach. She not only 
coach is the greatest swimmer on the planet, but at the same time, she works with all kinds of young people in the community, getting them swimming, improving their lives. Um, and she spoke to us about how her upbringing changed her mindset. This is Mel Marshall on High Performance. Yeah. I mean, it comes from my mum and my dad, really. And Jake, I've heard you talk about, you know, your history and your adversity and, and does that, you know, certainly shape you for the future? And I, and I absolutely think it does. Um, you know, my mum, I won't go into too much detail, but she's had, um, you know, a few challenges around physicality over the over the years. And she sort of sat me down when I was about nine years of age and she looked at me across the kitchen table and she said to me, look, you've got two arms at work. You've got two legs that work. You've got energy and you've got enthusiasm. Go out and give the world the very best you've got and don't come home until you have. And that sort of, that was really born in my childhood. And then I have an, an over-competitive father who literally would not want to lose anything. And, um, you know, there was just no mercy. It was like, no, you can go in goal and I, the 35-year-old strong man, will strike the ball at 100 miles an hour and you will learn to cope and I, the professional table tennis player, will not teach you how to serve. I will just serve at you. But that in itself was a life lesson. It was a competitive hurdle I had to get over. And it was the foundations of me, my competitive you know, nature, really. Um, and interestingly, I, you know, I fought and fought and fought. And, you know, the day that I did beat him, he stopped racing. I love that. That's brilliant. That's how to build resilience in your in your children. I mean, I, that, my favourite is you, the professional table tennis player. You won't teach me how to serve, you'll just serve at me. That's I've just great. got this image of this dad, like, powering table oh, tennis balls. That's so but good. He, he was obviously smart enough to know that she would learn that the only way through that is to be resilient, to take the hits, to still get up. And obviously that's now his legacy because she's now working with athletes who are able to do exactly the same thing. You know, they're able to lose and still go back for more. And it comes back to... I would say probably, Fern, the biggest conversation we have on high performance is about the power of resilience. Yeah, because I, I often wonder this, like if I've ever had a sports personality on, we've had um, Tom Daly and Jessica Ennis-Hill and Dame Kelly Holmes. And I, I'm constantly awe of people who have ha had huge setbacks, you know, like when, you know, on several Olympic occasions when Tom hasn't come back with a gold medal, how you put yourself back in that position with that amount of pressure, I still find just... I don't know, an insurmountable task. I think, I don't know if you have to be a, a certain type of person to deal with that kind of pressure. I don't know. Yeah, I, I like when people talk about resilience, like I sometimes get calls off people in a business and say, oh, we want to work on the resilience of our staff. And my first question to them is that I've never met anyone that needs to be resilient in the face of kindness or decency or understanding. But I've met lots of people that need to be resilient in the face of working with unpleasant or unkind people. And I don't say that to be uh, glib, but I say it because I think one of the sort of superpowers of all these guys, like you're describing Jessica or Tom or, or any of these other guys is they're kind to themselves, aren't they? When they make a mistake, they're not beating themselves up. Yeah. Or they're not relentlessly castigating themselves. They sort of accept that mistakes are part of the journey. They, you know, we talk about the phrase, they're a comma, they're not a full stop. There are moments to pause, reflect and plan and go again. And I think that's something that so many of us need to understand that we're going to make mistakes and resilience starts by being kind to ourselves to give ourselves the will to go on. I'm still not good at that. Like I'll still somehow push through and try again, but I'll berate myself during that process. And maybe for years, you know, I've wasted a lot of time doing that and it's still a lesson I'm desperately trying to learn. It's... um. 
Tough one. I think resilience comes in different amounts. And sometimes you can be a little bit resilient and struggle a bit. Other days you can really nail it. And I think it actually doesn't matter your level of resilience today. The focus is on the fact that tomorrow, because of what's happened today, you can you can and will be more resilient. Yeah. Can I just share one other really quick clip before we go any further from Mel as well? Yeah. Because I think that when you hear someone, and this is what I this is something I really want, particularly your audience on Happy Place Fern that haven't heard the high performance podcast um, before. I really want them to understand that what we love is is how what's happened in your life really does determine the life that you live today. So Mel had that upbringing where she was really taught resilience from an early age. And you could imagine that would also leave her in a place where it's all about the big win. It's all about the Olympic gold. It's all about success on the world stage. But as she shared with us, she realises that that's not what she's here to do. Have a listen to this clip. There were so many stories of triumphs, but we had this mantra of, you're going to go to your Olympics, whatever that might be. That might be the county championships. That might be the actual Olympic Games. There's no ceilings. There's no boundaries. I just want your energy, enthusiasm and your constant commitment and we'll get you to your Olympics, whatever that might be. That might be to finish swimming and go on to college. That might be to do your A-levels and balance that out with swimming at the same time. And, and if I look at what came out of that programme, I started that programme and it had 12 regional standard swimmers. I had four lanes, I had dodgy lane ropes, I had 30-metre pool that had not been emptied in 45 years, it would regularly break. And the, in the end, I left, I had Adam who won the Olympics, I had a young guy called Lewis who got a bronze at the Paralympics in the same year. I had two kids on scholarships to America. So that's a, a, a reminder that we would go, oh, Mel Marshall, yeah, Olympic swimming coach, but it isn't. That's her talking about a community programme that she created. And when I love it when she says, you're on your own, it's your own Olympics. It's just, it's literally making you a better person. And I think that's a reminder for all of us listening to this, right? We're all basically on our own Olympics, right? And we've all got different desires and different dreams. And I think, as we've just said, being kind to ourselves is not going to do anything but get us closer to that. Yeah, we've got to do it. Self-compassion is where it's at. Should we have um, a final clip of this episode? Yes. By the way, I'm loving this conversation, you know. It's so nice bringing two podcasts together like it's this. It's really cool. lovely. It's really mm. lovely. Um, the last clip I'd like to go with is actually um, someone who's become a new friend and someone I literally speak to this person every day now. And we oh, really wow. didn't know each other much before this. But I think we we kind of understood we shared a lot of similarities in our experience over the years and also you know, the struggles that we've had mentally, and that is Saran Jones. I used to be very much like, well, I can't go because I haven't got anything to wear I don't, uh, with a wardrobe full of things to wear. I'm going to sweat. I'm going um, to say something idiotic. I'm going to do the weird posh queen voice that I do sometimes. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I went to this event once. It's so embarrassing. I can't even tell you which one, so people can't look it up. But someone asked me to give them an award and I was like oh okay and this person was quite you know I thought oh that's quite spunky great I'll go and do that at the moment I got the invitation but that was the best bit and I should have left it there hung the invitation up and not gone anyway I ended up going I looked very odd because I was in a panic everyone I met and there was some really great people there too that I would have just loved to have had a normal conversation with I stared at like I wanted to kill them because of I was so frightened of being there. The sweat started to happen. And then the voice came out. And I was like, oh, my God, stop doing that. But I was talking like this to people. <laughs> oh, my God. 
and it, it must have been this everything screaming inside yeah. run away run away yeah. or is it what I wanted them to see came out like that because it wasn't obviously authentic so my body was having such a fucking laugh at me and saying, all right, well, I'm going to make it sound like this then because you need to get home and get in your pyjamas. Yeah, your authentic self's in, in the bath. In the bath, having the best yeah. time. Copy loving it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, loving life. See, that is me. The best bit is always getting the invite. I, I don't want to go, but I want the invite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but isn't it? It kind of almost takes us back to the very start of this, <clears throat> this whole episode. When we heard from Johnny Wilkinson and we talked about not being affected by outside influences, all of that is her being affected by those around and having to live a life that is not authentic and is not real. And if if there's one thing that I want people to get out of listening to Happy Place Fern or listening to the High Performance Podcast, it is making that decision from tomorrow, 1st of January, 2022, I'm going to try and live a life of real authenticity. If I don't want to go to an event, I'm not going to feel that other people make me have to go. No. It's far better to make a bad decision you believe in than a good decision that is not true to you. And I, I really firmly believe that. Yeah, definitely. I agree. That's exactly why I went to zero Christmas parties in December. Um, I, I wondered why you never replied to the invite. <laughs> I like being at home. I think, you know, we're all probably at the age now where we know ourselves way better than we did in our yeah. 20s. And I used to rally against myself. I've got to be like this, present myself like this. This is how people expect me to be at this age or at this point in my life. Now I sort of, I do care a lot less and I just do what makes me feel right. And a lot of the time that's being at home. I love being at home. We often talk, don't we, Jake, on like one of the phrases we use when we speak to people on the podcast is seasons, reasons and lifetimes. When we talk about our circle of people that we're surrounded with, some people are with us for a particular purpose. Some people are with us just for a time of our lives. And then there's that select few that are going to be with us on the whole journey through our lifetime. And I think as what we find so often in our interviews is it's the people that really matter for you, to you and for you that are the ones that you want to invest your time with and you become a bit more selective over where you're going to waste that time. I was going to say, Fern, out of all the podcasts that you've done this year, the one with Saran was the one that had the biggest impact on me because she grew up not a million miles away from where I grew up. Right. And I, so I've got some friends of mine are friends of hers. So to hear her speak so openly about some of her struggles, it was almost like... a. Um, it was a little bit closer to home, if you like, and it had, I just thought when she spoke about her parents passing away and some of the struggles of that, I, it had a real profound impact. And again, I know I'm repeating myself from earlier, but the fact that you got her to open up and speak so candidly was uh, was incredibly powerful. Well, I felt, again, you know, like every episode, I, I genuinely walk away feeling grateful that, um, that the, the guests who come on are, are willing to sort of go there and, Saran was a, a prime example of that. And it was um, amazing to hear her talk about her own mental health properly for the first time. She'd done it via the medium of I Am Victoria, which was a sublime piece of work. But it was wonderful to to hear her talk so openly. So, yeah, I feel very lucky, like I'm sure you both do as well, for, you know, we get to do this all the time. Lucky us. Can I ask you a quick question, Fern? Yeah, go on. You may not remember this, but I do. We went for a walk in Richmond Park just before I left London um, quite a while ago. And... I remember you saying, you, it was a throwaway thing where you went, look, you know that at CBBC I was really unhappy and I struggled with eating and I had loads of issues. And I, and I just went, as everyone does, I went, yeah, 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 I know, yeah. I had no idea, basically. 
I just saw you as like ultra successful. You were the one doing Top of the Pops. You were the one that was on all the magazines and you were the one that everyone aspired to be. And I had absolutely no idea that that, that was actually what your experience was. And then you you kind of can't help but think, why didn't I see that? Why was I sort of blind to that? Um, but really, I'm just wondering whether you are the happiest that you've ever been because from the outside, again, I think you are. You seem so... Like, I don't know, you just seem in such a brilliant place. Not without its challenges, because life always does yeah. have. But I kind of don't want to get it wrong again, if you know what I mean. No, I think so. It's, it's really tricky to tell, because even in the times where I was, you know, in the thick of a sort of 10-year eating disorder or going through some way more challenging stuff in my sort of late 20s, early 30s with my own mental health, although I'm not in that headspace anymore, thankfully... Um, there were some really happy moments within all of that. I think, again, we we try and sort of compartmentalise years and go, that was a bad year, this was a good yeah. year. But there were times that were deeply challenging and sad and, and you know, just very bumpy sort of territory. But then there were little sparks of amazingness within within that. I think now my life is more sort of level. There's less huge ups and downs, which I like. I'm... I'm imagining I sort of cult, I've cultivated that um, to some degree, as well as age bringing that to, to the forefront. But yeah, I think I am. But then often I think about my childhood a lot and think, oh, it was well good being a kid. <laughs> it was so easy. <laughs> so I don't know. All I know is that I'm back to feeling optimistic. And I had a big period of my life where I was not, and I, probably 10 years mm. where I was not optimistic. But that's back. So that's cool. How about you? I am honestly the happiest I've ever been. I think that my life has been totally turned on its head by creating this podcast with Damien. And I think the big, the, my sort of big message for people who listen to High Performance and those that listen to Happy Place Right is that that is how I feel today, but it might be different in March 2022. It might be exactly the same in October 2022. But I'm, I really love this old stoic phrase that no man steps in the same river twice because the river changes and so does the man. So the three of us, having just sat and had this conversation for an hour, we're different people to the people that, that started this conversation, even if it's only a tiny, small, nuanced change in your mindset. And I think that my message for people is that is the greatest thing. So if you are in a really good place, don't fall into the trap of thinking you're going to be in that great place forever and that you've got it sorted and you've nailed life and it's all going to be easy because then when the difficult times come, it derails you because you're not expecting them and you're not prepared for them. And equally, if you are in a difficult place and it's the end of 2021 and it's been a hard year for you um, and you know, you're know you coming to podcasts like High Performance or Happy Place just to try and inject that optimism and that fit sense of possibility into your life, I would just say that don't think that this lasts forever either. Nothing's permanent everything changes and hopefully that will sort of help people in the new year how about you damien well if you don't mind fern i'd like to ask you a question that i've heard you these speak psychologists about fern can never talk about themselves have you noticed <laughs> no 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 there's a question i've been you. really yeah. no no i won't i will answer it in a moment but there's a question that i've heard you reference a few times that i think might help people listening to this as these going into the new year that we make new year's resolutions of everything that we're going to do and incorporate and one of the phrases that I really enjoy is there was a management writer called Jim Collins that spoke about writing a to-don't list. So a list of things that they wouldn't do, that they wouldn't compromise on, that they wouldn't take on in their life. And I've heard you speak about you making some very conscious decisions to walk away from aspects of your career. And I'm interested in the conscious nature of those decisions and, and how you found 
them? Are they liberating or, or, or the impacts of it is what I'm interested to know more about? Well, I think um, some of them, I, I, I honestly felt I had no choice in the matter. You know, they're due to still having um, pretty bad panic attacks with certain things related to work. I don't feel like I can put myself in that position yet. I'm not saying it's forever, like you were just saying, Jake. That might change. You know, next year or in ten years, I might think, you know what? I'm gonna, I could do live TV again. I could get myself out and do that and not go into absolute sheer panic. But at the moment, I, so those decisions felt almost out of my hands. The right. decision making bit was like, what the fuck am I going to do? And luckily, I'd started writing things down and that turned into a book and that's turned into this podcast etc so at one point I did feel like I don't know what else I can do I just know I can't do x y and z um there have been sort of smaller circumstances where I've walked away quite peacefully and felt like yeah it's just time it's all good but a lot of them have been I physically can't put myself in this position of course I'd like to one day get to the place where I have more autonomy over those decisions and think actually I'd like to give this a go but I'm not there yet. And, you know, that's kind of, that's fine. That's, I'm willing to put more work in. I'm willing to sort of share what that work is so it can help other people. I'm willing to talk about it with others so it can hopefully help other people, but I'm not there yet. Um, And I like to share that because I think too often the conversation is, I used to be this, I used to be depressed or anxious and now I'm fixed and I'm here. I'm in the thick of it still. I'm still trying to work it out. And I've worked it out by staying away from stuff that makes me have panic attacks. So I haven't had one for a, a few months. But um, so, yeah, I'm just, I'm figuring it out as I go along. Brilliant. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for answering that so honestly, because I, I, I've heard you speak about it and I always think sometimes making a list of the things we don't want to do can it be as powerful as the things that we do want to incorporate into our lives? It goes back to self-compassion. You know, sh- do, I could put myself in the position of going on live TV but that's that's without any self-compassion. That's like, oh, you idiot, why can't you do it? Make yourself do it. Just go through it, have a panic attack, it's fine, and then just get the job done. Whereas I think self-compassion is making really tough calls like that where you go, I, I can't put myself in that position anymore. And it, it's not like I was going, yay, I'm not going to do live TV or radio anymore. That, that There were tears over all of that. You know, it's painful. Your ego gets busted slightly because you're like well that's why can everyone else do it and I can't cope you know it's they're not easy things to walk away from but if you know they're not making you feel good I think you have to apply self-compassion and then you know make make a decision that can go for relationships friendship dynamics you know geographically where you live maybe it it can relate to all sorts of things if it's not working for you anymore I think you have to have a real dive into self-compassion and see what happens yeah, good. I, I sort of, uh, I've had a couple of experiences in my life where the, what Fern's saying there resonates, where I've sort of taken myself to the brink of exhaustion uh, and got myself quite seriously ill as a consequence of it. And I, I sort of had a bit of a Damascus moment when my son was born and somebody said, how would you feel if somebody spoke to your son in the same way that you speak to yourself? And I'd heard my, And then I heard that in a voice of, you know, man up, get on with it, stop whinging sort of playing loud and clear and it left me bereft the thought that my children had be spoken to like that and I thought if you know uh, that we don't follow hypocrites you need to role model the behavior so I've tried to adopt that as a as an approach in my own life of starting from a place of being kind to myself and hopefully the children see that and mirror it 
So doing this has been a, a sheer pleasure. So working with you, Jake, and working with you today, Fern, has been a real pleasure. So I tried to do it from, is it fun? Does it make a difference? And is it from a place of kindness? And if it answers those criteria, um, I'll, I often say yes to it. So... Yeah, I love it. Hey, Fern, you can see how good the professor is on high performance, can't you? <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. I'm also really impressed that during that answer, you managed to eat a whole mince pie. <laughs> yeah, I've done the mince pie. Don't worry it, about that. The it. coffee's almost gone as well. Yeah, <laughs> I am a quick eater. That should be a news resolution. Actually chew my food. Uh... Um, I think that's pretty much it, you know. Um, what joy. I've loved hearing those clips from Happy Me Plays. Too. I hope you've enjoyed delving a bit deeper into high performance. Um, obviously, this conversation is on Happy Place. It's also on high performance. So... Maybe we should just start by telling the people who don't normally hear us a bit more about what we do and how they can find it. And um, ladies first, Fern. Okay, so Happy Place, you can find wherever you get your podcasts. We also have um, our own Instagram account where you can find out what we're doing outside of the podcast. So we're charging ahead with our summer festivals again next year. We put on two big well-being events each summer, one in London, one in Manchester. So you can find out what's going on there. We also publish books on Happy Place Books. And we've got some new titles coming out next year, which is very exciting, as well as just some sort of nice little online initiatives, which hopefully bring together our community. So you can find us at Happy Place Official on Instagram. Well, if you're listening to Happy Place and you don't know anything about the High Performance Podcast, um, it's hosted by myself, Jake Humphrey, Professor Damien Hughes, who is an expert in high performance team cultures and is an honorary uh, professor at Manchester University. And we release every single week on a Monday. We're going on tour in 2022. If you want to come and join us, you can find us on Instagram at High Performance. You can buy our book wherever you get your books. Um, and I should probably let Damien tell you how you can follow him on Instagram because... It's inspiring stuff. He loves a quote, does our professor. <laughs> no, I, I, so I love reading. So on, I'm on Instagram at Liquid Thinker and I like sharing sort of ideas that I might pick up and hopefully help people to incorporate it themselves. Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year, you lovely people, everyone listening. And Damien and Jake, thank you. I, I so enjoyed talking to you today. Likewise. Oh, likewise. It's been a real treat. Thanks, for. Oh, God, that was so much fun. I love Jake. I love Damien. I just adored that. So lovely. I really hope that you loved that too. That was that was the plan. That's always the plan. I absolutely loved reliving all of those moments. I'd also really love to know what your favourite episodes of the year have been. Is there one that particularly resonated with you? That would be so wonderful to know. So we know in which direction to travel next year with Happy Place. Please let me know on our Instagram account at Happy Place Official. So thank you to, well, every single guest that we've had on this year that who've given their precious time to be on Happy Place in 2021. A massive thank you to Jake and Damien for that gorgeous chat. To the producers of this episode, Finn Ryan and Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio. And to you, have the happiest of New Year's. So much love from my heart to yours. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.